Hey, everybody. So excited to be on the Relationships and Revenue Podcast with my good friend, John Hewlin. Cannot wait for you guys to check out this episode. Life is all about relationships and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue Podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. As always, thrilled to have each and every one of you with me today. And as you heard from that wonderful introduction, I have the one and only Jordan Mendoza with me. Jordan, how are you today? I'm doing excellent. Been a busy one as we were chatting a little bit offline, but uh, it's been a good day. Well, any day alive is a great day. That's how I look at it. So (laughs) now, folks, if you don't know who Jordan is, that's part of the reason why he's on the show today. It's because I want you to get to know him. But to give you a little bit of Jordan's background, and for those of you who are watching this, you know that I always have my notes. Jordan, I am prepared. I do my research ahead of time. So Jordan is the founder and CEO of Blaze Your Own Trail Consulting. He's a speaker. He is a podcast host as well of the same name, Blaze Your Own Trail. That's the name of his podcast. And folks, for those of you who are out there on the trail running today, don't worry about writing this stuff down. We'll put it in the show notes for you. So in addition to all those things, he's an author. Uh, he's a LinkedIn coach, but he has two other titles that I bet he holds most dear, and those are husband and dad. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate that uh, intro. I cannot wait to hang with you today and talk about some relationships, talk about some revenue, and I'm sure a whole lot more in between. So, For sure. So Jordan, everybody has a little bit of an idea of where you are now. But kind of go back for us. Tell us kind of how you got your start and what has been your trajectory that led you to where you are today? Oh, man, I got my start as as when I was very little. I got my Ph.D. and that stands for poor, hungry and determined. You know, <laughs> I was we were literally poor, like no money, food stamps, you know, government cheese. And, you know, my mom, uh, she was born with one lung back in the 50s. So she got oh, wow. kind of. uh handed this uh, deck of cards with a bunch of jokers in it, right? And, and mm-hmm. they were like, hey, you know, probably not going to live to 18, probably not going to be able to have any kids. And, you know, gave my grandmother this baby. And my mom was, uh, had different uh, things in mind, though. You know, she was a fighter. She, mm-hmm. you know, she was uh, sick, you know, early and often when we were kids. She, when I was about uh, 10 or 11, started using oxygen full time. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I'd seen her go to the hospital and not uh, almost not make it and come out of it. And, and, you know, she was just a big, a big fighter. She ended up living to 54 years old and had five boys. So she really did well for that hand that she was dealt. And she was like, and still is today, my biggest inspiration. She always told me that I could do whatever I set my mind to. And so, you know, even though we didn't have a lot growing up, I did have someone in my corner that, was a positive influence that was an encourager that made me believe I could do whatever I wanted. And for some reason, I've always believed her. You know, I've always been <laughs> optimistic, even in spite of adversity. And, you know, I'd love to share here in a bit just some of those 
adversity stories and things that I've been through that a lot of people would may look at each one of them and say, man, like, how did you get past that one? But there are multiple different events that have you know, occurred in my life. And I've become this believer that adversity gives us strength. You know, it enables us to see through a different lens and have a different perspective than someone that may not have experienced it. Oh, Jordan, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, um, something I've said quite often on the podcast is that, let me back up. I get asked with frequency. I, people ask me, John, how do, I, how do I figure out what I'm supposed to do? What's, what's my why? How do I figure out my purpose? That sort of thing. And I tell people the real answer every time. The people who are serious about it, they don't like the answer, but they're willing to pursue it. Most won't. And here's, here it is. It requires pain. It requires the most intense and difficult thing you've ever been through in your entire life. If you want to find it, that's what it takes. You don't get to purpose without going through pain. And I don't mean just experiencing it. I mean pushing through it to get to the other side because that's where purpose is. It's on the other side of pain. But we have to do the hard work to work through it. We don't suppress it. We don't go around it. We don't pretend like it's not there. It's we learn from the pain to get to the purpose and ultimately where we want to be, and that is our platform. But that's love down it. the road. Yep. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I'd love to. I love to start off from kind of early days, right? Because there, there's a a situation that occurred when I was in just fourth grade, right? Everybody mm. remembers elementary school where everything's fun, right? It's like everything's a game. <laughs> right. Gym is fun. Music class is fun. No one cares that everybody's singing, right? There's just no judgment when you're in those days, at least back in the '80s when I was in elementary school. <laughs> and uh, for some reason, we had this picnic to complete fourth grade, even though mm. elementary school went to fifth, we just had this end of the year picnic in fourth grade. And we were at this park in uh, North Portland, Oregon called Pier Park. And mm. uh, we were playing a bunch of games. This is when tether, tether ball was legal. You know, <laughs> right, we had, right. We had baseball, we had all these different things. And I was up to bat and John, I, I took the bat and I swung, I missed and I did that spin around that you do. Oh, and wow. I spun around the bat flew under a tree. It's a oh, big wow. Douglas fir tree. So I ran over to the to the bat. I grabbed it. And when I stood up, there was a beehive on my head, literal beehive. Um, and I was getting stung. I was running. Kids were running away. Teachers were running away. I mean, it was like a scene from a movie. I started yeah, doing flips yeah. on the ground. And finally, the good teachers grabbed big coolers of water, mm -hmm. dumped them on my head and started picking the bees off. But I got stung 53 bees in fourth Ooh. grade. Yeah, and uh, and so I learned a lot of lessons that day. I mean, just think about situational awareness. What are people doing? Who's helping? Who's running away? Right. You right. You learn a lot of those lessons. I also learned that I was not allergic to bees, which I wouldn't be here to tell the story if I was. <laughs> well, that's right? great. <laughs> which is which is great. But so that was kind of a uh, a pivotal moment in my life where I just saw something crazy was happening, and I had to figure out how to get out of it. Right. So there's a million probably we could have a whole episode on what things I learned from that moment, that mm. experience. The next one came at 12. So um, between birth and 14, uh, probably a lot to do with we didn't have a lot of money. We moved 14 times. Yeah. We were at this apartment, this house, always bouncing around. So we actually moved that summer between 
sixth and seventh grade, we moved two towns away. So I had to take Mm -hmm. two public buses just to get to my middle school. And I did the same route. I would go from one, uh, get on one bus. That bus would stop at a 7-Eleven. I would play Mortal Kombat 2. I would hang out. I got to Mm -hmm. know the lady. My mom met the lady. And it was my routine until the next bus came. And then that bus would take me about a block from my middle school. And Mm -hmm. so one day I was in there just playing Mortal Kombat 2. And I heard the bell ring like somebody had walked in and a man's voice yelled out, hey, Daniel, and I'm Jordan. So I'm just like playing the game. And then within literally about a minute, my body was lifted up. I was thrown against the Terminator 2 pinball machine. It had a gun to pull the uh, to shoot the ball. My Mm. ribs went into the side of that. I was punched in both of my ribs, thrown on the ground, handcuffed and put into a police car. And the. the officers were yelling at the lady that worked there. She was like, I know this kid. He's here every day. They told her to shut up or she'd get arrested too. And my wow. only saving grace, John, is I was in the back of the police car at 12. I had my London fog jacket on, you know, backpack. And mm-hmm. I just remembered the night before my mom was harassing me about doing my homework. And I knew I had it that day because I didn't do it very often. And yeah. I reached, I, I said, please just reach in my pocket. The officer reaches down, he puts his hand in there, he pulls it out. It says Jordan Mendoza, and he looked like he saw a ghost, brother, because he knew he just screwed up. I mean, there was a false arrest. It was police brutality. Oh, yeah, it was. Racial profiling. I mean, it was was all of it. I had to experience that day. And, man, it was a long journey. They, They ended up getting fired, both of the officers. My mom actually wanted me to pursue this big trial because... It was probably going to be worth a lot of money. And there was just something inside of me at 12 that just said, listen, I just want them to lose their jobs. I just want to move on. I was tired Mm -hmm. of going to see the the psych who was asking me to look at pictures. And I was like, listen, I don't hate cops. Like, I know what they did was wrong. I just Mm want to move on with my life. You know, and I I had that kind of vindiction at 12, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think it had to do with seeing my mom get sick and I'd witnessed my grandmother get cancer and dementia and so I had this empathy for people and I knew that, you know, they definitely didn't deserve to have jobs in, in that type of work, but I didn't want to, you know, have this impact their whole generation, you know, with, with something that I was going to do. Um, mm-hmm. But, but, you know, that happened at 12 and, I, and I've got a couple more, but I'll let you mm-hmm. see if you have any, any questions or thoughts on these two experiences. You know, it's interesting to hear you talk about some of these things and the uh, the lessons you were able to extrapolate from those. You know, I I can't say being a white guy, I've ever experienced that kind of thing that you just talked about with the police officer. I've known people that have. Now, I've known white people that have experienced the same thing. It was it was still racial profiling, but in a different way. And that's a very long and involved story, not for our episode today, but the fact that at 12, you knew you didn't want to go that route, because quite honestly, I don't know that I know another 12 year old and I'm sure my 12 year old self would have thought, hey, don't do that. Don't do the, the easy thing would have been to pursue that would have been to I don't know if there's such a thing in this case as a quick payday but that's kind of what goes along with this sort of thing and yeah i i just don't know that 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 would have been a part of my makeup at 12 years old and that's that's pretty impressive 
Yeah, it was uh, definitely one of those intuition moments, right? You just you mm-hmm. just kind of have that feeling that you know what this is this is what needs to happen. This doesn't need to happen, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, you look at our circumstance. Yeah, you know, even fifty thousand dollars would have changed our lives, right? You know, something, yeah. anything with a few zeros would have literally changed changed the trajectory of where we were, which was living in the projects. <laughs> I mean, if, yeah. yeah, it would have been it would have been nice, but. Yeah, I think that we're all wired internally. You know, we have these things inside of us that, you know, help us make these decisions. And uh, that was, mm-hmm. for me, that was the right one at 12, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's some other, you know, things that, that have happened. You know, I've been in sales my whole life. So my mom got us all playing sports, uh, soccer for 12 years, baseball for 12 mm-hmm. years. And I was actually more interested in fundraising than I was in playing. I like going door to door and selling the beef jerky and selling the chocolate bars. And so like my first job at 14 was going door to door, uh, selling people newspaper subscriptions for the Mm. Oregonian. And so I would go have to knock on, you know, a hundred doors a day and, you know, doors slammed in your face. And you you want us to talk about the best training for people, like go knock on doors, Mm -hmm. go, go get cussed at, yelled at, you know, woke up my baby. What are you doing here? And and you'll build up some tough skin pretty quick. And oh, yeah. I can tell you that doing that at 14 was worth more than me going to college. I didn't end up going because I, I didn't see the value in it even back in the 90s uh, mm. because I knew I wanted to do sales and get good at communication and, and mm. good at business kind of doing it that way. But and so doing sales, I traveled all over, as you can imagine, mm. if when you sell products, usually those direct marketing companies, they're, they're all over the U.S. So I actually finished high school. I moved from Portland to Seattle, Seattle to the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And while we were in the Bay Area, we had an opportunity to open a new office in New Jersey. And yep. so I was going to go with the crew, you know, caravan of like four cars. We were all driving out from the Bay Area all the way to New Jersey. And we had made it up into Wyoming. And it was about like four in the morning. Uh, I was in a truck, a big Chevy King Cab truck. My buddy Jeremy was driving. There was uh, two other friends that were passengers. And in about 4.30 in the morning, he fell asleep at the wheel. And Mm -hmm. when he woke up, he actually overcorrected and hit the gas at the same time. So we literally slid at 70 miles an hour, flipped several times, the truck lands, and he got ejected from from the driver's uh, window. We we couldn't find him for probably five minutes. We were searching. I actually didn't realize I was even injured at all. I, I ended up having a 12-inch cut on my right leg about a fist deep. My oh, hand wow. went into my leg while we were on the side of the road. Had an eight-inch cut on my left leg. Had to have laser surgery, 53 staples. And they told me when I was in that hospital, they're like, there's a chance you may not relearn how to walk because of the damage. Mm. And when they told me that, man, I was like, there is no way I'm not going to be able to walk. Like I had started breakdancing in eighth grade. I was part of a crew. I was, you know, I was like, there is no way I'm not going to be able to do that stuff anymore. And so I was very determined. It was like from walker to cane to crutches to six months out of it, I made a full recovery. Wow. And, you know, there's some, there's some things that can happen when, you know, I believe in a few things. Obviously, for, for me as being a Christian, I believe in the power of prayer. And mm. when I tell you mm. I had coverings from my church, my youth group, from parents, from people all over the country praying, and and there's no 
wonder how I made a six month recovery when <laughs> the the report of the doctors were like, you won't be able to walk. And I can tell you, even at 24 years later, I'm still teaching breakdancing in my 40s. And I nice. can run and walk and jump and do everything that the doctors said I wouldn't do. So um, miracles can happen. Let's just say that. But mm-hmm. what's, what's interesting about that story is what you don't know is that in Utah, about three or four hours beforehand, I got in a fight with my buddy in a Walmart parking lot. Ooh. And we were fighting over who is going to get to sit in the truck because the oh. truck was kind of like the cool truck. You know, uh, and and so me and my buddy Brandaris were literally fighting in the parking lot and like almost getting to a fist fight. And I ended up winning and getting to ride in that truck. And so when I woke up in the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, the first person who was sitting next to me was my buddy Brandaris. Mm-hmm. And I just looked him in his face and I said, I'm glad it was me. Mm-hmm. Because I thought about it. Like I didn't actually wear my seatbelt and that saved my life. Because if if I would have had my seatbelt on, if you look at that area, the truck, it was literally crushed and compacted down. I would have been gone. Mm. And so I just thought in that moment, I was like, what if he would have been in here? You know, mm. what if I wouldn't have won that argument? So, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. I think God knew I could deal with the healing and, and the process of it. And, uh, and, you know, so I believe that it was, it happened for me, you know, not to mm. me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of lessons to be extracted from that as well. Sure, sure. You know, you you said something real important there right at the end. And kind of a buzzword a lot of people like to use is mindset. But I, th- I think there's more to it than just that. But what you said was this accident happened for you rather than to you. You know, what, when someone is able to begin to view life as a whole as something that happens for them rather than to them, even the tough stuff. Um, Man, that changes everything, at least from my vantage point, when I started doing that, when I started looking at all of life that way, my, my gratitude level, exponential, man, went off the chart because I began to truly become grateful for everything, even the crappy stuff. And the, the example I use all the time is my divorce. It is not something I would ever wish on anyone, Jordan. Honest to goodness, I wouldn't. It's horrible. On all levels, whether you have kids or not, it's terrible, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. And it's, I believe this to the core of my being. If that hadn't happened, you and I wouldn't be talking today. This podcast would not happen because that's one of the main reasons I even started this podcast was to help other guys not end up like me. That's one, not the only reason, but it was one reason that I did. So I'm grateful for it. In fact, I, I don't share this story a lot, but I guess it was last year, right? When my mom started to get really, really bad sick with her cancer, uh, when we thought she had, you know, maybe a month or two left, uh, I had a conversation with my ex-wife. We needed to talk about something else. And at the end of the conversation, there's something I had been needing to tell her for years, and I just hadn't. And I, it just hit me, now's the time, so I did. And I actually, I thanked her for divorcing me, which may sound weird because I'm so anti-divorce and I am. And I told her why. And I said, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have seen my need to get the kind of help that I needed to get better for me first and to get better for our kids. And because 
the work I did relationally, not just helped me with my kids, it helped me with all my relationships, every single one of them. Because the, the principles that I now teach, now it's mostly to men, but not exclusively. The principles that I teach to men are things that we can apply not just to our personal lives, but also to our business lives. Because what happens at home follows us to work, whether work is 10 miles away or the next room over. 100%. So I want to talk a little bit for a moment about, I think it's over your right shoulder. I see a book there. Yep. Yeah. And I suspect that may be the book that I'm thinking of that you were a, uh, a co-author on. Is that correct? That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Brand Sharks, Unstoppable Strategies for Industry Leaders. A buddy of mine, uh, Ruben Alvarez, it's been oh. about two years now, reached out and said, yeah, he's like, hey, I'm doing this project. I would love to see if you want to contribute a chapter to it. And, and yeah, ended up working out. And that was my, I've always wanted to write a book. And I was like, well, if, if I'm going to write a book, why not be a, a contributor one so I can see the process and mm. go through it all. Now I know the process. So this year I'm working on my first solo book. And so that kind of gave me the confidence that like, okay, maybe mm. there's content I can put out. Maybe people will want to read it. You know, we all have those mm -hmm. beliefs, those, those thoughts of like, okay, is this good enough to, to make it? And man, the feedback has just been incredible. You know, just, uh, I, I use the book for a lot of giveaways. I give it to clients to read and, mm -hmm. and then I do, I have it available for purchase and things like that. But nice. for me, it's just about the, the tool and getting your story out there. Just being able to impact people through just a small glimpse of what you do. And I'm a big believer that, you know, sharing our story, sharing our journey, talking, having these conversations that creates emotional relevance between mm -hmm. people, right? Sure. And without that connection, uh, you know, business would actually be a lot harder. And so I, I feel like once you can kind of break the ice a little bit, business actually becomes a lot easier because you see the person you're really dealing with and that hmm. no one's trying to put on this business facade of like, you yeah. know, the numbers and, and all of that. Because again, you're going to get the, you're getting the person no matter how you slice it. It just <laughs> depends on, do you, you want to get them later or do you want to get them now? And so right. that's always the principle that I've done. And that's the way that I teach my clients as well. Nice. Nice. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but uh, my first book is coming out in the first quarter. Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Uh, it's called the F6 Secrets of Relationships, Identifying Ways to Restore, oh, excuse me, to, to Recharge, Restore, and the, the subtitle has changed multiple times, but it's <laughs> all good. It's, it's, it's identifying ways to recharge, restore, and rescue deep connections. Awesome. So again, while the book is technically aimed at men, I've had a couple dozen women who have read through the book so far, and each one of them told me they couldn't put it down. So that's great. I thought that was encouraging. I'm like, all that's right. That's awesome. Yeah. So maybe I'm on the right track with something there. So uh, the cool thing about the process for me, and, and I didn't expect this, was when I got toward the end, I discovered that discovery is, is probably not the right word. I had an epiphany. And uh, basically what happened was I felt like God was saying, this is book one in a series now which I, I didn't see coming. I didn't see the series part of it. I knew there'd be other books. I just didn't see the series. So this one is about relationships. The next one is actually going to be the F6 Secrets of Leadership. And the third one is going to be the F6 Secrets of Entrepreneurship. So I know there's going to be great. at least three. 
I know that. Awesome. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, now, the, the, the writing process has been done for a while. Then there's all that other stuff that goes into it. You know, the cover design, interior, just a whole lot of stuff yep. that goes into it. So, so much fun. Lots of learning that happens <laughs> for sure. Um, so, folks, we'll be sure to include in the show notes a link to be able to get the book that Jordan was talking about. So we'll definitely include that. Let's talk a little bit about your sales journey. I mean, you told us about the early part of your yep. sales journey. Um, tell us more what you've been doing, say, in the last 10 years or so. Yeah, and that's going to be a combo answer. So uh, in the last 10 years, so we're going back to 2014. So so I guess we'll rewind a little bit. So I, again, I did sales all growing up. Door to door sales, telemarketing. I was selling sneakers in high school. I had buddies work at mm. Nike. I would get them half off and sell them for retail. I mean, I've always been selling something. I've always, I've always just nice. had a love for, you know, building relationships with people and learning how people, the kind of the psychology around sales. And so mm. that brought me out to Atlanta in 03. I was living in Portland. Uh, one of my friends said, Hey, we opened a new office. I think you're really going to love this product we're selling. She got me excited, convinced me to come out to Atlanta. Mm. And uh, not only did I like the product and did I like the company, but that's where I met my wife. So yeah, she was actually better. working, doing, doing sales at the same office. We ended up uh, becoming roommates because I needed a place to live. She did and another girl. So there was three of us. We got this three bedroom apartment and that's kind of how our relationship started. And, uh, and when we met each other, you know, we were I was excited because I was in a new city. I've met this beautiful, beautiful girl. And then one of the things she mentioned to me is that she wasn't going to be able to have kids. She kind of told me her story from, mm. you know, things that the doctors had said. And so uh, I was like, I was a little bummed. I'm going to be honest. I was bummed about that because I did, I wanted children. Mm. And a couple months later, uh, she ended up pregnant. And, you know, I'm like, well, wait a second here. Like, <laughs> first you tell me you're not supposed to be have a kid. Now you're now you're pregnant? Like, what was going on? She's like, no, I've really been told that. And, and then uh, about a month goes by and unfortunately she ends up having a miscarriage. Oh, and man, so you, we go from not supposed to be able to have kids to now there's this chance. So now we're getting a little excited. Now we lose the baby. I mean, you want to talk about just like a stab in the heart, you know? And yeah. so now we were just like, okay, well, what is happening here? Like what's, going on. And we were, of course, heartbroken. And we were in this early relationship. And a couple months later, John, she gets pregnant again. And oh, now I'm just God. like, wait a second here. What is the, what's really <laughs> going on? I don't know what is happening. And, and so that was in 03, you know, fast forward to 2024. And now we've got five amazing children. Mm. We've got our six on the way in August. Congrats, you know, man. She, she was told by a doctor she wouldn't have any. And now we're going to be plus thick. So it's like, you know, I always tell people, hey, it doesn't matter what people say, you know, uh, sometimes <laughs> there's other plans that are in mm -hmm. order and things are just going to come to be. And so we have three amazing uh, boys, two girls, you know, ranging from three years old to 19, uh, all of them with different personalities. Our oldest son's in the Philippines right now. Oh, wow. My dad um, out there got that for uh, high school graduation. So he's enjoying Southeast Asia getting to experience a third world country, which has been life-changing in the last few wow. weeks for him so far. Um, 
and so yeah man it's crazy what can happen in a in a short really 20 years that her and i have been together it's gonna be 21 years this year in july that we've been together and Mm -hmm. through that time i was doing sales and uh back in um october we had moved so we had moved from uh georgia we moved to houston then we moved to new orleans traveling doing sales and during this time of course my wife was pregnant so it was about um it was October of 03. She had to actually go back to Georgia while uh, for her last trimester because you can't mm. travel, you can't fly. I was still working and I was working in New Orleans until February of 04. Well, I don't know if you guys remember what happened in April of 04 mm. was this little hurricane that, that kind of took out the place. So luckily I had moved in February back to Georgia. I was mm. doing these dead end jobs, nothing going on. And I had to muster up the courage and call my dad. And I, I'd never, I didn't meet my dad till I was 12, by the way. He's a mm. Philippine immigrant. He jumped ship in the 80s, came over for a piece of the American dream. And this year he's retiring after having a landscaping business for 40 years. So learned mm. a lot about hard work from him, about, you know, business and, and uh, y- you know, how to pursue your dreams. But, but you know, when you're, you don't know a guy, right? You, you just, um, just met my dad at, at 12 years old. and now here I am like 10 years later at 22 with a newborn calling him for help. It's like, that took a lot, that took a lot of, you know, pushing my pride and ego aside to mm-hmm. ask somebody for help. But I did, I said, listen, I'll do whatever. I'll come work for you. I was like, we, we need a place to stay. And he's like, yeah, you guys can come up, like no problem. And you can live with us for a month. <laughs> Talk about <laughs> tough love, John, right? So oh, we yeah. get up there and we get up there in March and, Sure enough, he puts me to work. I'm working 12 hours a day doing landscaping, running a crew, 35 houses a day, brother, like mowing, oh. weed eating, blowing. I mean, we were like animals out there and and I lost probably like 35 pounds in like 60 days on the I'm landscaping sure. diet, you know, digging holes in the <laughs> trenches. And I learned real quick, I was not built for this, like, you know, this life, you know, because once, <laughs> once winter hit, guess what else stopped happening? Well, the the uh, grass stops growing because mm. there's snow. And so I was out of work again. And so I ended up getting a job with a window company selling windows. And then uh, we had moved into our new place a month later to the day because this is my dad. And he's like, you're getting your own place. He, he co-signed for our first apartment. And I was in the leasing office on a Saturday. And the mm. lady goes, you ever, um, you're so positive. Every time I see you, you're smiling, you're happy. You always mm-hmm. talk to everybody. You're so nice. You ever done leasing? And I said, no, like, what is it? And she just says, well, it's kind of like I showed you the apartment. You decided you wanted it. We signed a contract. That would be your job. And I was like, oh, cool. I was like, do you have benefits? Because we had this brand new baby. Yeah. The week before we just spent $630 to wait for a half hour to see a doctor. Uh-huh. He came in for five minutes and gave us the bill for six. I said, no, right. no, we need insurance. Right. So <laughs> that was my question. I applied for that job, John. I got that job in, in an industry I did not know about. Mm. Ready? 15 years later, I spent in property management. I went wow. from starting as a leasing agent, six months later, got promoted to an assistant manager. Nine months later, I was a property manager managing multi-millions in real estate. From mm. there, I managed multiple sites. I spent eight years in training and development, building learning management systems, training associates from Atlanta to Boston all over and all over the U.S. and spent nice. 15 years in that career before venturing out to do, you know, to start a marketing company. 
Mm. So that's kind of a, you know, a long, long story, but I, I needed to give you that context because I went into corporate, right? I learned how to sell in corporate. Mm-hmm. I'm certified in sales enablement. I'm certified uh, in Myers-Briggs. I'm certified as an mm-hmm. advanced instructor. And I got all that in corporate and I got to yeah. basically go to the college I never went to. Mm-hmm. I got to get all this professional development stuff and dove into strength finders and emotional intelligence. And literally, I feel like I've got so many different degrees from all the knowledge I got. So when I left to start the business, a lot of those foundational things were already dialed in, right? You talk about mindset, you talk about understanding yourself, how are we wired? You know, so a lot of that self-awareness was already there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where a lot of the people I work with, they're actually missing a lot of that stuff. And so I I really feel like, you know, your employers are your first investor, right? They're investing, you know, time into you, coaching, training, and so I always encourage people, hey, take that stuff and learn from it and add that to your tool belt because mm-hmm. you're going to need it. <laughs> you may not know when, but at some point right. in your life, you know, those hours that you thought you were doing when they kept telling you to, hey, you know what? You worked on this project six months. We want you to learn a new system. It's like, guess what? That's going to come in handy down the road <laughs> when you work with clients and people that have those things occur with them. So, Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, one of the things that you do now, you you are a coach, but you emphasize a specific type of coaching. And I, I want right. to dig into that a little bit. Uh, you are, this is, I don't know if I actually saw this on your website or not, but this is, I had somebody ask me about you like a couple of weeks ago. It's like, hey, oh, do cool. you know Jordan Mendoza? I'm like, yeah. And they go, is he the LinkedIn coach? And I'm like, yes, that's him. So. Is that an appropriate title for you? Sure. Yeah. Um, I get called the LinkedIn coach, you know, social media coach, business coach. Um, but I do coach people on LinkedIn. So I, I think it's okay. definitely appropriate. And the only way you can become a coach is if you're a terrible player. <laughs> you know, you got to be a terrible player first, right? And think about it. Like all good coaches probably couldn't muster it up on the field, right? So I say that because I was terrible at LinkedIn. Like I, I did... LinkedIn, like everybody did, I'd go on there when people's birthdays or their anniversaries, or if I wanted to upgrade my resume, a little digital resume for recruiters, because I was looking for a job. That's kind of what I used it for. I think most of us can relate to that. And in 2019, when I was in my corporate role, I was in training and development and I logged on to LinkedIn and and something had changed. Now, all of a sudden you could put out videos and, you know, there's all these new things that were happening on the platform. And I got inspired by a creator named Brian Shulman. He's actually a good friend of mine, buddy, a mentor. And he was like the first person that I saw creating consistent content on LinkedIn, videos every day, different initiatives. And so I reached out to him one day. And remember, I was up in Boston training some associates up there. I was in my hotel and and he just, you know, took the time out of his day to get on a FaceTime. And I just told him my story, a little bit about what I'd gone through and why I was on the platform. I wanted to just see if people would listen to my sales training or my marketing advice. And he's like, it's like, bro, not only could you do this, but he's like, you're going to have a brand bigger than me one day. And I don't know why he told me that, but for some reason, John, I believed him just like I believe my mom when she told me I could do anything, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I said, okay, well, let me try this thing out. So I started showing up. I started creating content on a consistent basis. At that time in April of 19, I had 7,000 connections. So you know, I'd, I'd built a network of just people 
colleagues over the years. Well, fast forward from April to December, my audience went from 7,000 connections or followers to 20,000. And I was like, wow, whoa, like I'm on to something. Like what's happening? I don't know. Like people mm -hmm. seem to be engaging. I mean, you know, some content was going viral for back then, hundreds of thousands of views on the platform, lots of in comments and engagement. And I started kind of evaluating what I was doing. Okay, like what, what was my process? What was this, what kind of system did I, install for myself. And then people started reaching out to me. They're like, wow, how did you, how did you get so many people to comment on your stuff? How do you mm -hmm. do this? How do you do that? And all those questions, John, started turning into what was about to be my course, right? Yep. Because again, I, I had something that people didn't have. I was starting to document that process. And eventually I was coaching people for free until my wife one day pops in my office. She's like, you got a lot of calls uh, all day long here. How many of these people are paying you? I was like, that's a great, that's a great question. I was like, well, I guess I got to start charging, right? So again, but I knew I was onto something because mm -hmm. if you can teach people and they can take that knowledge and apply it and get results, that's, mm -hmm. that's when you know you've got something. But I'm one of those people that I'm a big believer that you have to be a practitioner of what you do. You can't mm -hmm. just talk about it. You've got to be about it, meaning... You've got to do it day in and day out. And when you can do that, that's how you eventually will become the expert that people are seeking out because yeah. you've put in the reps, you've showed it up, you've tested things out, you've seen what doesn't work. And that's why I said, you know, I was a terrible player because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. But I knew that I was onto something and I knew that I was going to crack this code, if you will, and build <laughs> a system and a process and a framework that anybody can copy. And when you mm -hmm. can do that, that's what turns into a product, right? That's sure. what turns into a set of deliverables. And so for the last, now it's, it's been three years now, probably four, if you include the 2019 free coaching, I've been <laughs> coaching people on LinkedIn for four years and mm -hmm. everyone that I've coached has had a positive ROI. You know, they've doubled or tripled the investment that they've put in. And what's nice about the coaching that I teach is when they're done, all they have to do is plug and play the system and do it over and over and over again. So it's something mm -hmm. that is always an asset for their business. Nice. Nice. You know, one of the things that, that I tell people all the time, and I don't care what your job is, it, it actually doesn't matter. We are all in sales. Everybody. Yep. I don't care if you just got a job working for the largest company in the world and you're a telephone rep, and all you talk to is angry people and customer service, you're still selling. What are you selling? You're selling the company. Every time you're talking to somebody, that's what you're doing. You're selling the company. And how you respond to them gives them either a positive or a negative impression of the company. You're still selling something. And so for many, many years, I had a not very favorable impression of salespeople. Now, what you need to understand is when I was growing up, uh, my dad was a service manager on high-end cars, BMW, Mercedes, that sort of thing. And so if you were on the service side, you unfortunately had to deal with the sales side. And that was like oil and water, man, all the time. It was, it was never a good experience. Neither side liked the other. There's lots of reasons for that. But when someone told me, this next part, 
it it changed my life. It changed the way that I think of sales and the way I think of marketing. Um, when I learned that sales is just serving, that is all it is. Because if we're serving people, they never feel sold to. And that's what most people hate about salespeople is they feel like, you know, that horrible used car salesman with the terrible mustache and the wretched suit. They just, it feels icky, every experience with that person. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. But the way we serve other people is by starting right here. For those of you who can't see, I'm grabbing my ear. That means we're listening. That is a skill that will serve us well our entire lives is listening to people because most people will tell you exactly what they want and need if we'll listen. 100%. Yeah, it's been said that, you know, we have two ears and one mouth. And so you should use them in that ratio. You want to listen twice as much as you speak, right? And if you can, you know, get that dialed in. But also I like to add, Thanks for tuning in to part one of my conversation with Jordan Mendoza. We had a fantastic time today, and I can't wait for you guys to check out part two of that same conversation in the very near future. So be on the lookout for that episode. Again, thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody.